Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 109, Angel One. Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm your lowly, humble, male co-host, John Champion. And this one is your other lowly, subservient male co-host, Ken Ray. Each week we use our limited intellects and weak understanding of abstract concepts to discuss an episode of Star Trek, looking for its morals, meanings, and messages. And Ken, we are looking at every episode of Star Trek. Yes, even that one. The one you thought no one would ever talk about again. You know the one. Uh, maybe it's not the one we're talking about today, but, but there is that one for just about everybody. Today, it is a trip to the idyllic matriarchal paradise planet known as Angel One. Yes, it is. And uh, Ken, you know, before we get to the discussion of all the the, the fruits of Angel One, uh, I do want to remind our audience that uh, we're not just a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast because we like the sound of it. We're a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast because, well, we come from Roddenberry Entertainment. And uh, you can go check out the rest of Roddenberry Entertainment at Roddenberry.com. Now, Ken, we've we've mentioned some of the cool things that they carry in the shop there. Mm -hmm. And I I have yet another cool thing that I want to mention in the shop. Okay. Uh, If you're playing the home version of Mission Log, you, you may know that we talk about some of the documents, the scripts, things that changed from time to time in Star Trek. And you can actually go buy uh, expertly printed replicas of scripts from the Star Trek movies from the Roddenberry archive. And it's not just the movies that were made, you know, motion picture, Wrath of Khan, et cetera, et cetera. You can actually get the script for Star Trek in thy image. So this is what would have been the motion picture but didn't turn out to be the motion picture. So you have the Vulcan science officer Zahn. Um, you don't have Decker as the captain of the Enterprise. Uh, you introduce the idea of a girlfriend for Kirk who is on Earth. Um, so this is sort of that in-between period uh, from what would have been Star Trek Phase Two, and then what became Star Trek the motion picture. And you can read that script. You can own that script from Roddenberry.com. See, I always thought that was called uh, Star Trek Phase Two and a Half, The Smell of Phaser. <laughs> yeah, the Smell of Phaser too. <laughs> <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, just keep throwing them on there. Just keep piling them on, on there. Right. <laughs> so do check it out at Roddenberry.com. All right. Now is the time that everybody waits for, where I pretend like I'm going to do trivia and then actually throw it to John. John? <laughs> Thank you, Ken. Today's trivia for the episode Angel One. Uh, first of all, Romulans in the 24th century. Well, well, we hear about them here for the, for the first time in mm-hmm. Next Generation so far. Uh, we don't actually get to see them. Spoiler alert. Um, there is another thing, though, that you'll uh, you'll notice in this episode that I really want you to get used to because you'll seeing you'll be seeing a lot more of it, and that is the matte paintings for Angel One. Okay, you mean these specific matte paintings? I mean these specific matte paintings. I'll tell you honestly, I'm going to be okay with it because the Pinocchio effect on these matte paintings was mm-hmm. was revelatory, revelatory, yeah. whichever. <laughs> it was kind yeah. of awesome because we've had, I can't even remember how we've done the you know establishing shots before. But if you don't know what I'm talking about with the Pinocchio effect, Pinocchio was uh, was 
was not the first film certainly to do this, but but the 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 level of layers that they used to shoot um, mm-hmm. uh, faraway scenes in Pinocchio, and and all they were doing uh, for the Disney thing was they had paintings on like different panes of glass, and they would you know move the panes of glass and move the camera, and you know you would get sort of a depth of field, an imitation mm-hmm. depth of field that you didn't get generally speaking, in, well, in animation, certainly. Right. And, uh, and this does that. We, 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 we sort of, you know, pan in or, or we sort of zoom in past that first layer, you know, into, well, yeah. into the city. And it gives, it gives it more of a depth than, than I remember noticing in any of the episodes that we've watched of the next generation to this point. Wow. Well, yeah, the, uh, Disney pioneered the multiplane camera for animation. And, mm-hmm. and in this, I, I can't answer if this thing is actually multiplane, but they do a very, very good job of that optical illusion. Yeah. You do have a foreground, a mid, and a background, and it all kind of looks a little more dimensional than well, you would get in a lot of matte paintings. Well, I mean, it's definitely multiplane, but the question is, was it actually you know shot through glass multiplane or whatever? Because we do, I mean, right, we, right. we do see movement of one layer against another. Now, it's not nearly mm-hmm. as multi. I mean, not, it's. I mean, two. I guess would technically be multi, but I mm. think I think I would probably call it dual. <laughs> right. dual plane yes. maybe because there's yeah. not a lot going on here come on it's a 10 sec not even 10 seconds probably like a three second establishing you know right shot that they go back to like four times i think and you're, and you're saying i'm gonna get to see it a lot oh yeah okay yeah okay. you'll get to see a lot of it i, I hope you and your map painting will be very happy because I, you'll I see a lot of too. it yes yeah. um now the original draft of this story quite different from what we end up with on the screen and uh it, it stayed different until about a week before filming uh they were kind of finishing this one off up until the last minute before the cameras had to roll um it, just some of the highlights of what would have been different uh data would have had a date as well in the uh, Angel One library. Uh, Ramsey would have been the only uh, survivor from the Odin and uh, essentially kind of enslaved on the planet. He wasn't living in exile, as we will discuss in the uh, the final version of the episode. Now, um, Ariel was played by Patricia McPherson, and she may be best known to 80s TV audiences as Bonnie from Knight Rider. And a uh, special note from the boss, uh, she is most definitely remembered as Bonnie from Knight Rider by our own Rod Roddenberry. Um, very special place in his heart. Um, Sam Hennings, who plays Ramsey, is uh, an actor from Georgia. He's had a very long and varied career as an actor. His first TV credit, Ken, is Moonlighting. Oh, excellent. So we'll be talking about him again in 2027. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, um, Karen Montgomery played the elected one, Mistress Beata. Yeah. And uh, she has a relatively short career as an actress, surprisingly, yeah. um, essentially retiring just a few years after this episode aired. Uh, but she continued to work in production uh, behind the camera on a handful of shows after Star Trek. I, and I still uh, miss her. Yeah, I I remember her from Amazon Women on the Moon, and there is absolutely no reason to remember her from Amazon Women on the Moon. I would say Amazon Women is a great movie. Oh, no, it's a great movie. I'm saying there's no reason to remember her. She doesn't have a big part in Amazon Women on the Moon. Yeah, it's just there's just there was something. Maybe it was my age. Maybe it was the time. Maybe it was the line she delivered. I don't know for certain. Maybe it was the hair. But the second I saw her. Yeah, sure. But the second I saw her in this episode, I was like, hey, it's, it's her from Amazon Women on the Moon. She might be the uh, what 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 Bonnie was to Rod, I guess maybe. <laughs> uh, she might have been to me, although really it was about fifteen seconds of screen time, maybe. So wow, yeah, that no, she... I remembered that's kind of nutty. 
Yeah, she left quite the impression. I guess so. All right. Um, Leonard Crowfoot, who played Trent in this episode, he makes a total of three appearances on Next Gen, this being his first. Hmm. His training background is in dance. Uh, He is a professional dancer, and he performed for nearly 10 years um, off-Broadway in a one-man show, Najinsky Speaks. And uh, apparently, uh, he is still doing that from time to time. After its uh, New York run, uh, that show then toured and it, he's made a big, big chunk of his career doing that show. Hmm. And, um, and let's talk a little bit about behind the scenes here. Patrick Barry wrote uh, this one. This is his only credit for Next Gen, though he did actually sell another story um, unscripted for Next Gen called The Crystal Skull. Not to be confused with Indiana Jones and the uh, and uh, director Michael Ray Rhodes is making his only next gen contribution here. Now, he had a deal with the studio in which he would direct an episode of the Bronx Zoo as well as next gen. So next gen was kind of the gimme after he did the Bronx Zoo and it did not necessarily go well. So Will Wheaton writes about the fact that he had worked with uh, Michael Ray Rhodes on a back to school special many, many years prior. Uh, Will was about nine years old at the time, and he got along great with uh, Michael Rhodes. But um, Will only worked one day on this episode, Angel One. Uh, But he did hear and he did see that other cast members were not getting along with Michael Ray Rhodes. And um, part of it might have had to do with the tension of the fact that, you know, the the script was not delivered to him and certainly not in any completed form upwards of four days before the shoot began. Um, so there was quite a bit of tension there. Now, Gates McFadden uh, had complained to the production about the script and about the way things were going, about some of the sexism in the story, and uh, Patrick Stewart was there to kind of back her up and lobbied that uh, certain elements of the story be changed. They call their planet Angel 1. Do they know whether there is an Angel 2? Or do they just want people to think that, of all of the planets called Angel, theirs is the best? Prologue. The Enterprise just bumped into the remains of a freighter called Odin, on which no survivors were found. Nearby, the planet Angel 1 might have survivors if, indeed, the Odin crew were able to get that far in their escape shuttles. Looks like it's worth a shot anyway. Angel 1 sounds like a great place. Technologically, it's like 20th century Earth, nice climate, and it's run by women. Captain Picard wisely asks Deanna Troy to make the call. She does, and she gets a rather chilly reception. Yeah, we're not really interested. Thanks for stopping by. Oh, you're looking for survivors? Okay, but just for a minute. Act 1. Riker and his away team, Deanna, Tashiar, and Data, are on the way to the transporter room when they spot Wesley Crusher wearing a costume from Season 1 of Lost in Space. He and a friend are going skiing in the holodeck. The doors open and snow is falling. On the transporter pad, Picard reminds Riker how important this mission is. Not just because there might be survivors of the Odin down there, but Angel One has some strategic importance to the Federation. On the planet, the away team meet Beata. That's Mistress Beata to you, pathetic worm. The introduction is tense. 
The people of Angel One are distrustful and won't yet give an answer if there are survivors from the Odin. In their hotel room, Deanna tells the others that the people they just met are afraid and paranoid, but it's all over the place, like they are fearful of different things. On the Enterprise, Picard and Worf stroll by the holodeck doors as an errant snowball beams a captain right in the face. Uh, sorry, Wesley says. Picard is not in a great mood about it at all, especially since he's got to turn the Enterprise around to head off some Romulans at the neutral zone. And there's a whiff of something peculiar in the air. Literally, Worf thinks it's a plant he's known from home, and Picard thinks it's just something unpleasant. Summoned back to the chamber of the elected one, Mr. Spiata, the away team get the news they knew was coming. There are survivors, four of them, but they're dangerous and living as fugitives. So, what are you going to do about it? Act 2. On the Enterprise, people are coming down with something. Not sure what yet. It's kind of like a cold. Remember those from way back when they were still around? But Dr. Crusher has an eye on it to make sure nothing gets out of hand. Picard and LaForge, meanwhile, are coordinating with the landing party who came up with a way to find the missing Odin crew. They'll use the ship scanners to search for platinum, an element the Odin crew would have on them, but not something indigenous to Angel One. Also, it looks like Picard is actually coming down with whatever that disease is sweeping the crew, and Dr. Crusher relieves him from duty to get some rest. On the surface, Riker is getting ready for a very important, high-level, diplomatic meeting with Mr. Spiata. First, he'll get gussied up in the traditional male style on the planet, which means a flowing shirt open way down to there. Deanna and Yar are amused. But Riker is ready to put himself out there in the interest of interplanetary goodwill. The women and Data go off to find the missing Odin crew, while Riker gets down to charming the mistress. She insists. When the three in the rescue party arrive at the coordinates where they assume they'll find the Odin crew, they're greeted by MacGyver. Well, actually, his name is Ramsey, and he's been expecting them. Act 3. Ramsey and the three other men who survived the Odin are not interested in leaving Angel 1. Sure, it's dangerous there. In fact, they'll need to move now that their camp has been identified. They learned after a little time on Angel One about the inequality. Mr. Spiata rules with an iron fist. The men have no rights. But they've actually settled in. Some actually have families with the locals now. And they're not bound by the Prime Directive, so they don't have to leave even if the Enterprise Away team begs them to. Hey, uh, speaking of fraternizing with the locals, Riker is uh, learning through interaction with Mr. Spiata. She sure has warmed up to this inferior man with superior body hair. A couple hundred miles above the planet, it seems like preschool during flu season. There's just sneezing and coughing everywhere. Dr. Crusher is holding up okay, but she's had no leverage in finding a cure for this rapidly mutating virus. The Forge is getting a bit antsy about having to steer the ship to the neutral zone. Then he gets a call from the away team that they are not ready to beam back up with survivors, but rather the three of them are to beam back to the location where they left Riker. Just as Tasha, Deanna, and Data beam out, Ramsey says he can't tell them why he knew they were coming for him, but the answer is revealed as soon as they are gone. 
Ariel, one of Mistress Beata's fellow powerful women, emerges from the background to embrace Ramsey. Now, Riker is seriously making some headway for the future of Federation diplomacy on Angel One. Then the rest of his team come crashing in like a bunch of college roommates who just won't let the poor guy have some fun. They've got bad news. The Odin survivors will not come back. Oh, but the bad news doesn't stop there. Beata was expecting them to go away, and now that they aren't, she has sentenced the Odin crew members to death. Act 4. Sneeze, sneeze, cough, cough, you get the picture. Dr. Crusher is doing what she can, but it's just not enough. Picard really wants her to find a cure before the end of the next act. Odd, though, Dr. Crusher is now smelling some kind of perfume. It's not Picard. It must be the particle in the air that the others reported smelling right before they got sick. An airborne virus. And in the 24th century, on a starship, no less, who would have thought? Certainly not Dr. Crusher, who runs off to work with this new information without a face mask in sight. Riker is ready to get back to the Enterprise. That may not be the safest place, considering the virus going around, but he's more concerned about the Romulans than he is a few stubborn freighter crew. Not so fast, though. Mr. Spiata parades the Odin crew who have all been captured right in front of the Enterprise away team. She means business, and she has also captured Ariel, one of her own, who is consorting with the fugitives. Riker puts on his Picard hat to try to handle a negotiation with Beata. They were awfully chummy the other night. He'll make a deal with her. Don't execute them, and the Enterprise will take them all away, even the conspirators who side with the Odin crew. Beata's not totally heartless. She gives Riker the chance to talk to Ramsey and his group, which he does and fails miserably. Ramsey would rather stay. Riker would rather beam them all up, even if it means against their will and even if it means against the Prime Directive. He calls the ship, and Dr. Crusher is now in charge since everyone else is nearly incapacitated. No one is coming back on board until she can find a cure. Compromise time. Riker sends Data, who likely won't be affected by the virus, back up to the ship with an order to head to the neutral zone at the last possible minute while the others try to sort things out on Angel 1. Act 5. The execution will be televised. Or at least the away team were invited to see the um, reaffirmation of moral imperative taking place. Riker gets a call from Data, who has not left yet for the neutral zone. He's waiting until the very last second to see how things go on the planet and how things go with Dr. Crusher working on fighting that virus. Even Data knows the episode is coming to an end, so he's assuming Dr. Crusher will whip up an inoculant right before the credits roll. The elected one shows off the execution chamber, kind of like a transporter, only no hope the person will be reconstituted on the other side. Okay, time for Riker to put on the Picard hat once again and explain to Beata how revolutions work. Sure, she can go ahead and execute Ramsey and his followers, but she will only succeed in making them martyrs. The ideas they espouse will live on. Beata's like, yeah, good speech, but I really want to try out the execution chamber on something more complex than a large urn. Ariel can't take it anymore. Her outburst makes Beata reconsider enough to talk about it with her advisors. 
She reconsidered. Before Riker can have anyone beamed up, Beata announces a stay of execution, but Ramsey and his followers will have to live in exile way over there on the other side of the planet. It'll be tough, but the revolution or evolution of new ideas on Angel One will be slowed down. The end. What? You were really interested in what happened to the inoculation Dr. Crusher was working on? Well, yeah, she made one. Virus cured. The end. Roll credits. What now? Well, you you were interested in what happened with the Enterprise swooping in at the last moment to rescue the Berlin from a bunch of rowdy, trigger-happy Romulans. Uh, Well, we don't know. Seriously, it just ends there. So, the end. Wow, a false ending and a double false ending. You, Double my friend, false ending. Yeah, you're like you're like suspicious minds for a whole new generation. <laughs> and if you don't know what I'm talking about there, oh, do your music uh, studying up, would you? Hey, here's a question. I think you alluded to it a little bit. How does Crusher yeah. not get sick in this whole episode? She's a magic doctor. She's who, a magic doctor. Uh, yes. Could be yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I will say you kept uh, likening uh, Riker to Picard, saying he puts on his Picard hat, whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought it was kind of cool to see Love Him and Leave Him Kirk back in action. Right. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. It wasn't. <laughs> but no. guess what? Uh-huh. Um, also, shirtless Riker and shirtless Picard in this episode. That's right. Yeah. He only, is shirtless. Only yeah, mostly. Yeah. You know, yeah. Riker's got sort of the peekaboo thing going with the, uh, with the <laughs> right. angel one outfit. And Picard's yeah. in bed under covers. I mean, it's not sexy. I don't think. I mean, I, I well, I, I, well. Now we're about to say way too much. But either way, he's a sickly uh, middle-aged man. So it's not like I mean, his is not. It's not like Riker's outfit. I'll put it that way. Still shirtless captain and shirtless almost captain. Well, Picard is sweatier. So if that's oh, yeah, your if thing. That's true. Then if then that's that, your that's, thing, yeah. If you like yeah. like sick and coughing and like you know, if you're in disputum. <laughs> I just, I just way... hate the word, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and there's there's way more body hair in the 24th century between those two characters alone. Yeah, that's true. Than there was that's in true. any of the 23rd century. That is so funny. That's right. Those two guys actually have, probably have more body hair than anybody on the yeah. original series cast. Combined. crew. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, my right. two favorite observations, uh, men are too stupid to understand the library, um, which is... Now, I did it, didn't I? Library. Yeah, did I'm sorry, yeah. library. It's because I'm so stupid, because I'm a man. Um, and also, man. the elected one wants a sex bot. Yes, she does. Yes, she does. And, yeah. you know, I can't, I can't say as I blame her. <laughs> well, data, data is fully programmed in a variety of techniques. Which and, they didn't um, even mention. They didn't even mention that part. She was just, see, basically, it, she was just dissing on her boy. But if you had just if you had held the camera just long enough and gotten the reaction from Yar, mm-hmm. that that would have maybe said a whole lot. <laughs> that, it might that have didn't get said. It might have actually episode. been kind of funny. She could be like, "Oh, it's an interesting idea," and Yar could be like, "You have no idea." <clears throat> <laughs> Excuse me, I'm right. sorry. We had agreed that we were never going to talk about that again. But catch <laughs> right. me during the commercial break because you know, elected one, if I got mm-hmm. news for you, mm-hmm. just yeah, it's the virus. That virus won't affect data but if yeah. you've got a a drunken sexually arousing virus going around yeah then data huh, you know maybe this is a whole thing then maybe data was just acting that way in the naked now because I, it's like I, hey here's a chance to learn i believe i suggested that possibility i believe you did, did that podcast. yes yeah. i don't think yeah. i was drunk at all i think he was just like oh you're good to go interesting right i think i might be too <laughs> right right yeah. um 
Angel One, they yeah. describe as being developed about as far as mid-20th century Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1950s, 1960s, uh, again, but this version of mid-20th century Earth technological development, totally cool with talking to starships. They've heard of Starfleet. They have no problem with people beaming in. Um, they even have that transporter-ish thing. It's a one-way transporter for their execution device. To hell. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I, you know, not to be all uh, memory alpha on you, mm-hmm. but um, it was mid-20th century the last time anybody visited, and the last time anybody visited was 62 years ago. Okay, so now we're early 21st century. Kind of where we are today. And we're totally cool with talking to starships and people beaming in. You know, that was kind of the weird thing, right? It's sort of like, so even if, so they've been visited once, it was 62 years ago, but they went ahead and set up like a, like a NORAD, but for the skies, right? Mm-hmm. I guess NORAD is for the skies, probably, now that I think about it. But, you know, for extraterrestrial life, they, wanted, they set up a, a SETI, let's say. Yeah. Okay. And then the second they come in, they're like, oh, well, let's try calling them on the radio because hopefully that'll work. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. oh, we're being yeah. hailed by the planet that hasn't had an extraterrestrial visitor in 62 years, or at least hasn't been visited by us. And Mr. Sabiatis is there at the radio, just ready to talk. Yep. Just uh, nobody, you don't hear on the other end, like, holy crap, that we've, wow, a message from outer space. Well, now <laughs> really? again, you know, forgive me, I, I, we are forgetting about the Odin. Now that I think about it, it's only been six and a half years since the Odin came there. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so they're not completely without... Not completely without extraterrestrial, uh, yeah, interference or, or or contact or whatever you want to call it. Maybe they've adopted a little bit of that technology. That's quite possible. You know, yeah. uh, Ramsey's out there roughing it. He may have the offered them. That may have been their way of you know getting rid of waste on their little shuttlecraft and said, "Oh, here you might enjoy this." And then he's standing yeah. there like between the parts of it, you know. Six and a half years later going, wow, really? I, I actually built this thing for them. That's- you you and I are rewriting this episode. We're, we're filling in all the gaps. Well. We we should go back and write this episode. You think we should? <laughs> Maybe. It's all Maybe. been done, dude. Come on. Let's, let's, write, <laughs> let's write a different episode. All right. All right. Um, Picard says that female-dominated societies are rare. Mm-hmm. Because he, uh, he, he says it was some surprise, but delight uh, that, that this is a situation of uh, Angel One. And um, he also says that a male-dominated world is how it was on Earth hundreds of years ago. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of thought, well, that uh, oh, Picard, that's wishful thinking about the 24th century. Because as far as I can tell, so far things in the 24th century are still relatively male-dominated. We, we have a male captain of a starship. We haven't met a female captain of a starship yet. Yeah. Um, his second in command is male. Um, there are women on board and they are treated equally. But I, I, you know, so far what we have seen of the 24th century isn't particularly as egalitarian as maybe he would want us to see. Well, but it is more than, I mean, comparing and contrasting Angel One to uh, Star Trek The Next Generation, Oh sure, I mean, it's leagues apart. Sure, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. But yeah, yeah, we haven't really seen. Here's the thing, though: we haven't seen anything of Starfleet and Next Gen um, outside of the Enterprise to this point. I don't think. No, not much. Yeah, yeah. we've only visited a couple of alien worlds. And, yeah, uh, but you know, that's about it. I mean, even the guy in charge of uh, Farpoint Station was male. Was a guy. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> why you called him a guy? I guess. Yeah, uh, okay. Doctor Sung, he was male. 
Well, he was. But we didn't know char- how much he was. He in wasn't control. in charge of anything. No, no, please. he was definitely not. <laughs> he had to change his name, leave the planet, go to another part of the galaxy. I think you know. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't say that he's an example of a of a great leader. But speaking of great leaders, Picard, yeah. he is just particularly surly throughout the whole episode. Yeah, I, you know, I couldn't help thinking maybe he should just stop walking by the holodeck if he's not going to the holodeck specifically. <laughs> You should just avoid it because very first episode uh, encounter at Farpoint, um, there, there's Wesley standing there just, you know, dripping on the floor. Right. And then uh, because he was wet, I'm sorry. His not, clothes are dripping. Right, water. His, his yes. Clothes. We would have clarified. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, this time he gets hit by a snowball coming out of the uh, holodeck. And again, it's Wesley, too. So, I mean, it, it, two things, either yeah. just stop walking by the holodeck or put a bell on Wesley. One, <laughs> one of the two. So that he just always knows like, oh, that's trouble. Well, wait, a couple of things about that. First of all, now, now there, there's definitely more than one holodeck on this Enterprise. And Do we I, know that? We know that there's more than one door to the holodeck, but I hadn't heard that we had heard that there was more than one holodeck yet. I, I, I don't know whether we'll there, find out or not. Okay, maybe, maybe we will. Maybe that is to come. Because um, they never say we're like, going to go to a holodeck. They say we're going to go to the holodeck. The holodeck. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. But like, it seems if like I go out to eat, be... I'm not going out to the restaurant. I'm going out to a restaurant. But yeah. Oh, this, right, you know, right, right, right. Yeah. But here, they're going to the holodeck. Maybe they should have put that holodeck way at the other end of the ship. Just maybe. so far. You shouldn't have to walk past the holodeck to get to, like, sick bay or engineering. It's a, a, it's a distraction. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know? And B, you might get hit with a snowball. I'm just saying it's a big ship. He could find another way to go. He, he, he could. He seems unhappy every time he walks past. Right. Uh, well, maybe there's a little bit of longing for yeah, the maybe. holodeck. He, he would like to go back. And it's too bad that the holodeck snowball is made out of the same stuff that a kiss from, uh, what, what's your uh, name? Just don't do it. Just, I don't even know. Whatever. Miss, okay, because if it was made by the of, second act, I, I don't remember her name. Yeah, but if it was made of the same stuff that Cyrus Redblock was made of, it would have just disappeared and not hit him. That might have been convenient. Um, something, speaking of the, the character portrayals in this episode, we talked about the naked now, and I, I made that comment that, you know, watching an actor act drunk is kind of, you have to be really skilled to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I felt like in this one, you know, a lot of times the only thing worse than seeing an actor act drunk is an actor acting sick. Um, and I felt like they really overplay it here, and especially they overplay it with Picard. You know, it's sort of like when you when you have to call into work and you do the sick voice and you, you, you try to do a good show, but everybody can just see right through it. Yeah. And I felt like in this episode, they, they were playing it sick and angry. And then Jordy, poor Jordy at the end of that, when he's on the bridge and he's practically convulsing mm-hmm. while Dr. Crusher is having her conversation with uh, Riker down on the planet. Yeah. Um, now, yeah. Now, so, I will say there was one thing that came out of the illness thing. I mean, aside from... Uh, Crusher actually being impervious to viruses. Yeah, right, totally. It, uh, what, yeah. What, uh, what, the other thing was uh, the idea of turning the holodeck into an isolation ward was kind of uh-huh. fascinating because, uh-huh. yeah, I mean, that would really only be limited, right, by how many people you could fit in the holodeck. Right. Yeah. And they could it's just keep walking and walking and walking. Kind of mind-blowing. <laughs> right. You could get everybody in there. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Let's not get into it, but Yeah. 
Oh, but but think about that. No. Even if they were even if they were shoulder to shoulder, yeah. the holodeck could make it appear maybe that they you know you know what they needed that for they they needed that for the planet in the original series where uh, they were overpopulated yeah, and that uh, one. had to build a replica enterprise. Yes. They could have just built a holodeck instead. They could have yes, and everything would have been solved. Well, right. what they really need to do is just upload themselves to a giant mainframe, but that's another thing for another mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and speaking of uploading. Uh, data, uh, I'm going to say right now, he just sit down and read the entirety of the Enterprise Library and maybe spend some time at uh, at Memory Alpha mm-hmm. and absorb more information. He knows a lot of stuff, but every week it seems we fall back on the same old gag of a, a cold. What is a cold? Perfume. What is perfume? An aphrodisiac. What's an aphrodisiac? Yeah. And and the thing that I'm pointing out with that is that. It's like what happened when characters would get gumbified in the original series, like McCoy. You know, you would always point out, well, this week we need McCoy to be dumb about this. This week we need to be we need McCoy to be surly about this thing. Mm-hmm. Data knows everything until he doesn't. Right. And um, and it's sort of like with this one, you know, Picard is wise and unflappable until we just need to inject a humorous situation, like getting hit with the snowball is just played off as uh, angry, gruff Picard in order to sort of make it humorous, but it doesn't really work. So the, these little moments I'm finding are, are a little tough to deal with. Well, I mean, especially where they don't serve any point. I mean, I'll actually forgive the one with Picard because, I mean, he actually gives he gives he gives uh, Wesley a lesson in how he should comport himself on on the starship. I mean, Wesley says uh, it just sort of happened. And Picard said nothing. Says nothing. Just sort of happens on the Enterprise. I mean, yeah, so really? I mean, it, it, this is my job, dude. I mean, basically, yeah. what he's saying. He's like, look, <laughs> yeah. this is a place of work. I know you live here, and I know we have these fun toys, but yeah, come on, trying to take, <laughs> trying to take what we're doing here a bit seriously. Um, that's a bit different than Data, who you would think would be able to define any word. I mean, just I mean, that would be part of his operating system that certainly if I were designing him, I would make that part of his operating system. So I could then ask this machine, hey, what does this word mean? Last I want to hear from him is, I don't know. Nobody's ever used it with me before. (laughs) Right, right. You know, they should be able to look at multiple definitions. You would think so. You should actually be able to translate it. There's yeah, any number of call him a Spock replacement. (laughs) Right, right. So we were talking about accessorizing earlier. We weren't actually. We were talking about the you know, the thing that they had to you know kill people. Um, mm-hmm. But that's kind of an accessory, an extreme accessory, I would say. But it's kind of an accessory. Um, there were there were two uh, props in this, and and they almost vie for you know worst props. But I know which one I think is the worst. Uh, the gift that he brought her from the Enterprise. Yeah. Yeah. She really <laughs> liked that a lot. She did. Now I'm thinking what she really liked a lot was Riker. Well, yeah, because the impression that I got was it like if his uniform had had pockets, he could have just reached into you know his pockets and like whatever was there, like you know right. loose, loose change and some lint. He could have like right, you know given right. that to her, and she'd be like, "Oh, let me repay you." Because <laughs> it wasn't really about you know paying. Um, but right. the worst prop was uh, the controller for the thing that'll kill you. Oh, seriously, I've seen these in Chinatown, dude. 
in, yeah. in San Francisco. Yeah. I, I think you could probably find them at the Spencer Gifts in your mall or in the, you know, sort of like new age slash head shop that took over you know, that store that closed in your mall about five years ago. The it, thing Riker brought her was from Spencer as well. They're doing all their shopping in the same place. They may well have been. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a crystal ball uh, on a on like a tripod thing. I mean, it, it, mm-hmm. it seriously, honestly, is something you could buy in any store. And it was sort of like, wow. And so you 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 hold the crystal ball, not by the stand, but by the ball itself. But you're holding the stand attached to it, and you put your hand on top of that, and that's 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 no kind of control surface. I was just like, when it came on screen, I was just like, wow, really? I would rather, <laughs> you know, I would have been more impressed if they had gotten a television remote. <laughs> Last episode featured a colony that disappeared 26 years ago. This episode features a ship, damaged and adrift for 7 years. I'm not saying the Federation is irresponsible, but you probably do not want them to babysit your kids. Ken, this episode opens up a a whole realm of new possibilities for uh, representatives, Starfleet representatives of the Federation. I think I've mentioned it before. Do you remember that old Saturday Night Live commercial that was uh, like an infomercial on how to become an ambassador? Like, you too can be an ambassador. You learn how to, you know, meet the locals, say hello in several languages, and say, may I please order the sweet and sour shrimp in like 50 different languages. And that was the whole thing. You too can be a diplomat. You can be an ambassador. And I thought on this one, well, we've learned another side of being uh, a representative and how to negotiate with the locals. And uh, Riker, meaning uh, negotiating with the locals, it just means pretty much getting it on. Um, And I wondered if that's something that they covered in training. Um, (laughs) I don't think you're being fair. Well, that was more of a Kirk thing, honestly. I mean, he does say, well, we're going to get to what he was wearing in a minute, but he does say, you know, when I was on this planet, I had to wear furs. When I was on this planet, I had to wear feathers. I mean, he's he's doing the whole one in Rome thing, which which a good ambassador should or would do, I would think. Yes. And if he also gets to get it on, (laughs) then then so be it. Bonus. Yeah. yeah. Well, but I, I kept wondering, is this. A Starfleet thing where Starfleet says, hey, look, hey, you got to negotiate. You go negotiate <laughs> and you know what I mean. Or is this a Riker thing? Mm. Because, it, you know, when you need to send a powerful statesman, you send Picard. And when you need a sexy negotiator, you send Riker. Um, in the old days, you just send Kirk because he would do both. Um, yeah, that's true. I don't know. But, I would honestly I would think. I would think that they should have sent like the Riker's a fairly imposing character, right? Yeah. He's yeah. tall, he's he's broad-chested, he's young, he's not really a hothead, but he does decide rather quickly it seems. He he's his suit. Um I I I don't know what that means. Harry. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. thank God you yeah. used a big word where a diminutive one would have sufficed. <laughs> um, it, it, it was kind of an interesting thing to send Riker, except it's it, it's not really an important mission, honestly. I mean, they're picking up four stragglers, they think, right? Yeah. And yeah. they're not anticipating you know, the whole ship being, you know, coming down with something and having to race to, you know, fight the Romulans in theory and, you know, all kinds of stuff. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pickup job. And so, yeah, well, sure, Sun Riker. It's actually kind of interesting they sent Riker, though, because he is a fairly, I mean, except for his rank, I would I would say that he probably shows up as an alpha male. And so, yeah. well, then, yes, by all means, let's send him to the place where all of the men are small and diminutive. You could have done diminutive this with, twice in like a minute there. That's so <laughs> wrong. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, you, you could have just sent 
you know, a, a landing party full of women. Picard had the good foresight to mm. say, you know, Troy, why don't you make this card? Here, let's send a landing party of women and data because data will come in use to sort of figuring out the, the logistics of this and asking what simple words mean. Um, but here's the thing that I thought about the whole Riker seduction situation. Okay. So here's an episode where they're trying to turn the tables. Well, what if we turn the tables of sexism? We put the women in power and, and we, we see what that does for our perception here. And I wondered how we would feel if we were sending Troy to bring a sexy negotiation to a planet full of hypersexual men. This would seem like a horrible, <laughs> horrible idea. <laughs> What if this were the original series and we were sending Chapel or Rand instead of Kirk to negotiate with, you know, pick, oh. pick any of the male leaders of any planet? All right. Hold on. It feels to me, though, like you're we didn't know that they were hypersexualized. I don't even know that they are hypersexualized, to be honest. I mean, no, no. what we got is we know that 62 years ago, this was a planet dominated by women. Mm-hmm. And then once our conversations with them start, it still appears to be the case that this is a planet that's dominated by women. Somebody is going to go down and lead this away team. Generally speaking, that's going to be Riker yeah. because the captain doesn't get to go off and go on every away mission that he wants to. And he's certainly not going to go on every away mission that he doesn't want to. So Riker was just going to go no matter what. And this could have been like a hypersexualized planet, which it, I don't even know. I still don't even know that you could say that it actually was. I mean, there's a, I found myself wondering actually kind of about if there wasn't a little bit of an idic message or at the very least a bit of a diversity message, not not infinite diversity, certainly, but um, <laughs> two members of the constitutional oligarchy. That's what they say it's you know, governed by. And there, uh-huh. there are six uh-huh. people on this, you know, uh, whatever, commission, uh, group, panel, yeah. whatever, six, yeah. a third of them find themselves attracted to something totally foreign to their society. Now, the thing they find themselves attracted to is a strong, intelligent man, or Mm. strong, intelligent men, rather. Now, the drag is, uh, this can look a lot like sexism still, even if you're trying to do the whole, oh, let's turn the table thing. Uh, Their planet is full of tiny, weak, less intelligent men. And whether that's genetics or breeding or societal issues or what, we don't know for certain. But, I mean, it's full of, eh, you know, (laughs) sort of (laughs) milquetoast kind of guys, right? But introduce a strong man like Ramsey or Riker. Um, you know, or, you know, anybody else whose last name starts with an R, you know, like Riker or I'm trying to think what other names start with an R. Yeah, that's yeah. Suddenly yeah I don't know. I'm blanking. Yeah. Suddenly there's 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 interest from these people. Right. And mm-hmm. so what I'm wondering is, is this TOS style sexism or is this an argument against homogenization? I mean, could you make this an argument for diversity or is it still just sexism now? I'm sitting here making that note, and I'm thinking about that, right? And then <laughs> right. the very next thing that Mistress Spiata says is women, by their very nature, want only what is best for their men. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still not 100% certain, though, because that certainly sounds sexist if you were doing the whole – it's what a friend of mine used to call the Donna Reed thing because she was watching the Donna Reed show and was horrified that Donna Reed's whole job was basically to stay there and wait for the kids and right. her husband to come home. Right. That's pretty much all she did. And then take care of them when they're there. Her life revolved around them. I mean, if she were saying it in sort of a Donna Reed kind of way from that show, and again, that's just shorthand. I'm sure Donna Reed was a much you know different, better, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, then you would have to say, okay, well, it's absolutely sexism. But here's the thing. You would want 
a mate to say that about their mate, wouldn't you? Ideally, so like a man talking about um, a woman, or a woman talking about a man, or a man talking about a man, or a woman talking about a woman. Basically, a partner should want what is best for their partner. Sure. And so when she says women, by their very nature, want only what's best for their man. I, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to. This does not feel sexist the way so much of the original series did, and yet it it's it's such a uh, it's such a weird gray fine line that I can't. I don't know if I'm looking to justify it, or because well, I'm not looking to jump on it in this case. I'm not saying oh, it's just sexism because I don't I don't. It doesn't feel like it's just sexism, and yet there may be some of that there. Well, no, look. I mean, it, you and I start out every episode of Mission Log giving Star Trek the benefit of the doubt. It's mm-hmm. like when we sit down to watch an episode. We have wiped the slate clean and we're saying, okay, what what does this have to offer us? And and we're going through it trying to really pick apart the best, assuming that every episode has a moral meaning message, something to talk about. Mm -hmm. And in this episode, we kind of have to look at it as well. There's an attempt here to address sexism in a way, to address this disparity in power in a way, but – it plays out in a way that just comes across as TOS style sexism. And in fact, I mentioned it before on an episode when we were talking about the original series, um, that movie, uh, Queen of Outer Space, Zsa Zsa Gabor, 1950s sci-fi at its worst. Mm-hmm. And the moral meaning message of that movie is at the very end, the women who control planet Venus, Zsa, Zsa herself says, yes, women cannot live without a man. <laughs> that, that's the mm. message of the whole thing. And this, it kind of plays like that, even though it's totally not the intention. All they needed was just a good, strong man like Riker you see, to and, show up. And this you know? is why I wish, honestly, I found myself, as long as we were rewriting the episode earlier, I, right, I wish yeah. we didn't have MacGyver as our guy. I wish mm-hmm. what had happened mm-hmm. was that a science exhibition or ex- expedition had crashed. And and so it's oh, like, yeah, yeah. and so we had gotten somebody that was almost as milk toast looking as um, as Trent, let's say. And I feel bad picking on him because you know he's a, he seems like a fine young man at the time. Yeah, sure, you know? sure, but right. I, I, I wish we had gotten somebody who was more of an intellectual. Honestly, I mean, mm-hmm. MacGyver can live out whatever his real name is, can live out there in the uh, you know in the wilderness, and yeah, he's a strong man, and he's, he lives by his own rules, and yeah. yeah, I wish we had gotten somebody who was like you know. Like Burgess Meredith after the world ends in the Twilight Zone. Just somebody who, mm-hmm. oh, excellent. Now I can read books. You know, if we, if we yeah, had right. gotten somebody who was kind of like more thoughtful. Now, again. The, all, all those old men from the cage who uh, crashed on Talos Four. You mean the ones that weren't real? Right. Well, they were real at one point. <laughs> if you say so. That's a, that's a whole. We're not really going to go back two and a half years and do that. No. Anyway. no. Um, now, I would I would argue that you could say that. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the drag. The drag is the one thing that they see that's different is alpha males. Um, I would still argue, though, that you could you could make the case for it just being something different. I mean, as opposed to everything having been the way it was. It's, uh, there being value in breaking out of the status quo. Of course, it doesn't hurt if the status quo is totally handsome. <laughs> <laughs> A handsome status quo. That's our next T-shirt. No, the breakout. I'm sorry, the breakout from the status quo. If it, the thing that's going to lead you astray is hot. Right. <laughs> that even better. That's kind of a drag, right? That that's, yeah. I mean, that you, cause, cause you can't pull out. I mean, it's, it's hard to separate whether it is sexism or not, or whether there is anything that you can pull out of it that's better than that. 
I'll tell you the thing that I, it's not necessarily sexist, but I did find it to be unprofessional is that the way that the women make fun of Riker and his sexy angel one clothes. And first of all, I expect somebody to do that costume at a convention at some point. Um, But it just didn't seem like a very enlightened attitude for Troy or Tasha, especially in a show where we've had some baby steps toward a more enlightened look at sexuality. Mm-hmm. You, know, you go back to justice and here's people running around almost naked on screen. And yeah, there might be a little discomfort, but everybody is on board with like, well, we when in Rome, <laughs> this is, this is how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's just people making out everywhere. And in this, you know, Riker, Riker doesn't suffer being made fun of by anyone anyway. He's, you know, he's a pretty, self-confident guy so we shouldn't feel too bad for him but i just kept thinking all the snickering and giggling it's like no look you've seen this before riker's reply to that was totally appropriate look i wore fur here i wore feathers there and uh this is my job and maybe it's a sexy job (laughs) tonight anyway yeah the thing that actually confused me was i mean where you see and and once he said that and if he had just left it at that then i would have been okay yeah, but then he comes back and says, "This attitude isn't about the fact that Beata is a woman and an attractive one, is it?" Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute. I'm sorry, are you their commanding officer or their boyfriend? Which I know is right, kind of a weird right. line for Troy, but yeah. it's yeah, uh, uh, you're right. It's <laughs> it's trying to do something, and whether or not it actually succeeds, I guess we can come back to that later. Right? Yeah, if you're going to treat the Troy thing seriously, then you could have treated that seriously. Seriously, yes. Right, right. Although the giggling, honestly, I, I liked it. It was it was some of the most natural stuff that I've seen. Not not the initial laughing that Yar does, but but when he leaves and the two right, of them are just there laughing. Yeah. yeah, that was actually sort of a that, that seemed like something that could totally happen in real life in the twenty fourth century on another planet. And that's all you needed to do for that scene is just have that moment, not yeah, have maybe. the discussion oh, about well, it. You know. Okay. Well, Anyway, um, let's talk about the rescue. Let's talk about the mission because it doesn't seem like they really thought out the whole rescue operation very well. You know, those guys aren't Starfleet. Uh, They don't want to come back. End of story. You know, they they should have just gone right away. They, should, yeah, okay. Um, it, it's like if Kirk ran into colonists who were perfectly happy where they were and then decided not to leave well enough alone. Well, that's SOP. Yeah, well, total right. standard yeah, operating procedure for Even after nearly a hundred years. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I it's I they were willing to do it though. That's the thing. I mean, they thought, okay, we're going to save these guys because they figured the guys would need saving, and the guys like, we don't need saving. Mm-hmm. And so then Riker's like, oh, you don't need saving. Okay, bye. And then you know, Beata's like, I'm going to kill them. And Riker's <laughs> like, yeah, but they can hide. So bye. And yeah. then once she actually catches them, then he's like, oh, man, now I got to do something. Yeah. And that's a total Kirk place to be, except Kirk would not have ever said bye. I mean, he would have said, no, no, no you're coming with us. And yeah. he would have found some subterfuge or he would have just knocked them out and brought him with them. <laughs> right. I mean, right. as much as Riker is like Kirk in this uh, episode, he um, he is not 100 percent Kirk because he was willing to walk away from them twice. Now, when mm-hmm. it comes down to it and they're going to die, then he is Kirk again. And um I, I got to say, though, I kind of applaud him for it. The whole, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm taking you out of here anyway. And yes, it could mean the end of my career, but I can't let you die. What I don't yeah, understand is yeah. why, um, why, what's his name? Who I will keep calling MacGyver now that you have. Why, uh, why MacGyver's like, MacGyver, yeah. why, no, we're staying. And it's like, well, if they had been living there and fighting the good fight, 
Yeah. Then I'd be like, oh, that's noble. But it's like, no, 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 we're staying. If you'll just, you know, close your eyes and count to 30. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he's he, my note is that he's an idiot. Well, he's he, he's here's the thing. He's being offered political asylum. Yeah. For everyone in the group. Yeah. But he's too proud to leave. And he answers for everyone, which is nonsense. Well, it, maybe it, he does think he's fighting the good fight at that point. I don't know. But he's not fighting anything. Well, that, that's not necessarily true because Riker says, and how he's figuring this, I don't know, but Riker says that the seeds of discord are starting to ripple across the planet. Well, how, he knows, how he knows that? Yeah, right. Because yeah. we met like five <laughs> right. people, right? There are 14 yeah. people going to beam up. There were only three guys. So I'm assuming that maybe some of those are their children. I can't remember unless it's other, mm-hmm. other people that have gathered around them because they're like, yeah, you know what? I'm tired of this whole women in charge thing, too. Yeah. <laughs> right. And whether it's that men are now in charge or whether they're living equally. Um, and 14 people does not a planet wide movement make. I don't think no. it might start it. And yet Riker's speech about, you know, evolution versus revolution and, and, and martyrdom was, uh, was actually, I mean, it, it was not a bad speech. It was, uh, no, it no. was, it was, eh. it had elements of the Kirk speech. The only problem is I don't really like the solution that they came up with. Hmm. How do you mean? Well, we're not going to kill them. And I like that solution. Don't get me right, wrong. Right. Yeah. And we're not going to send them off the planet. Okay. But that's, that seems fair. Uh, We are going to send them to a completely different part of the planet, though, because we want to slow this the heck down. Do you know what I mean? I mean, they're they're practically being ghettoized. I mean, it's just like, okay, well, okay, so all this neat stuff. Hope you enjoyed it because you're going to go live in the hinterlands. (laughs) Well, we'll see. And and that's where I go back to Ramsey MacGyver. Yeah, Yeah, Ramsey. Yes. Just being a rebel without a cause because it's. Well, me, anyway, has, oh, go ahead. I'm well, sorry. no, no, because here's the thing. It's not just, well, we don't like women being in charge or we don't, you know, the death penalty. We don't like the death penalty for everything or we don't like the idea of exile for everything. There's so much you could pick and choose from that. Really, where are they even trying to start? Oh, with well, this? He, he said that, the, you know, they thought they loved being there until they realized what, what the society was actually like, the way the men are treated. I mean, he. I mean, it's and again. But but, but even he's regardless, sexism. It's just we don't think of it as sexism because it's not the way our planet is. But I mean, he's fighting sexism theoretically. But regardless of the sexism, it's still a planet where the death penalty is just right around the corner for everybody all the time. Well, I'm sorry though. So you're mad that he's fighting sexism rather than the death penalty? Well, I'm just saying that <laughs> there is so much to address there that, again, yes. this tiny this tiny band of people who are just the in the mistress's eyes is the malcontents of this mm-hmm. society that otherwise works. Yeah, um, it, it sort of makes the 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 point and the possibility of their revolution seem so much less um, unless it actually is rippling the way Riker says. How he would have heard that, where he would have known that, I don't know. But, I mean, if that is happening. Because if that is happening, then you're then he's right. The second that people find out that, oh, wow, you know that guy who thinks kind of like you? Yeah, I had to kill him because yeah. he thinks kind of like you. I mean, that's, you know, and it's it was interesting. His his argument was interesting. I was just sad that their solution was, okay, well, I'll I'll let you live, but I won't let you live anywhere near me. Yeah. Because I mean, because then you're back to the whole thing of, of yep. this is this is a totally unequal, uh, non-participatory. I, you know, what would be the point of even living there at all? 
you, you would have it much better if you hopped on the Enterprise and got <laughs> located to another planet where you would uh, be welcome. Oh, uh, see, I don't know. Because, you know, you know the constellations and it is, well, it's her home. It's not his, actually. It's not any of theirs. Yeah, exactly. I don't Sorry. know. Yeah. All, all this stuff's there. Yeah, all his <laughs> wings that he can take with him. Yeah. yeah. It seems the death sentence is still very popular in the galaxy in the 24th century. And, you know, I thought about that as being kind of maybe one of the, the morals, meanings, messages to grapple with, kind of a, a parallel of Earth still, that there are places where the death penalty is slowly being eliminated. Um, but, you know, what is our place to tell others what their laws should be? Because um, Riker doesn't necessarily say your law is wrong the way that we do in justice. He's just saying, uh, give me a chance here to explain why you shouldn't execute these people this time. <laughs> you know, I, I get that you're going to kill him, but you're going to kill him for that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Hmm. Um, although they, they did call it the reaffirmation of moral imperative, which is a great little piece of Orwellian newspeak. I thought that was uh, that was a good use of that. Not two poke holes, but how did Ramsey evade capture for over six years, while apparently living within walking distance of where the elected one worked? Ken, it's your big moment. It's your opportunity to let us know. Oh, thank God. I thought I was going to do a number. Yeah. yeah. Well, when I say us, I mean me and the Mission Log audience who mm -hmm. cannot wait to hear yeah. if Angel One holds up. Well, you're doing it in reverse, aren't you? Aren't we supposed to do the messages first? Because, I mean, well, I, mean, I think I need to. Um, okay. I, okay. I like the fact that here's the thing. I know they weren't trying to be sexist. I know they were in fact trying not to be sexist. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, I'm willing to cut them some slack. There were people mm -hmm. who the whole time we were doing TOS who would say, come on, it was the 60s. Shouldn't you cut them some slack? And the answer is no, because it was their job to try and yeah. they didn't. Okay. In this episode, they're trying and, and maybe because they're trying, I'm trying along with them. I'm trying to figure out, could this be a message about diversity as opposed to, just sort of ended up ending up being a weird sort of reverse sexism thing, which there's no such thing as reverse sexism. Actually, it's still sexism. There's no reverse right, racism. Right. There's still racism. But we'll go ahead yeah. and use the term reverse sexism for now, just, you know, because that gives people a clearer idea of the kind of thing we're talking about. I would like to think that it's more about introducing something new to the mix actually changes society for the better. This happened for the rulers of this society. Okay, that's kind of a neat thing. There were little messages that got that got thrown in every now and then that we didn't even discuss because they they really are that little. There's a my favorite exchange in this whole episode. My favorite exchange in this whole episode is when they are they they're under the impression that there are survivors from the Odin here. Mm. Hasn't been confirmed yet, but they're under imp the impression that there are survivors from the Odin. In fact, they've decided. Well, no, we know there are. We haven't been told that there are yet, but we know that there are. Right, right. Okay, the exchange is, Data says, what do we do if they deny the existence of survivors? And Riker says, let's not look for problems. God yeah, bless right. that man. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> There's so many people that I would just, I mean, and, and I'm guilty of it, too. At times, you know, I'll have an idea and I'll be like, oh, yeah, but if I do that, then what if this happens? Okay, well, what if it doesn't? I mean, just, uh -huh, just do uh -huh. it, you know, rather than going, 
I mean, you can second guess yourself and second guess yourself and second guess yourself and it's never moving, you know? And I just yeah. that little exchange right there was just like, oh, that's gold. That should be like on a, that should be on a shirt, except it's not catchy and it's not funny. It's, but, you know, but I mean, <laughs> bumper stickers, maybe put it on the bumper sticker. Get people have something yeah. to think about while they're stuck in LA traffic. Um, it was fantastic to see Jordy in command. It was also fantastic to see that he's not automatically good at it, you know? Yeah, so yeah. he's like, I'm in command now. And somebody's like, oh, engineering, uh, something's broken. And Jordy's like, I'll be right there. And Worf's like, uh, you're in command now, so you probably need to hand that off. And right. that, that was a beautiful, that was just like a beautiful little exchange and, and really just showed a depth of both of those characters. I mean, both, you know, Worf, who is generally speaking the hothead, he's reaching for his favors or like, you know, if he hears something drop behind him. Right. But mm-hmm. Worf is like even sick, level headed enough to go, mm, that's not really the command thing to do. And Jordy then to be like, oh, man, you know what? You're right. So that's an awesome bit of growth from both of those characters, I thought. Very true. Um, sending the Enterprise in with no crew is an amazing gamble to like not fight the um, Romulans. <laughs> It was just kind of interesting. I mean, it's just, it's just show up. Yeah, just you know, we just yeah. be there because we think that show of force, and you know, God bless Tasha. She's down on the planet going show of force. Yeah, if they even look at the Enterprise, <laughs> the Enterprise is toast. Um, odds are good that it will pay off. If it doesn't, you have seriously gone all in at that point. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of really great stuff actually that happens in this episode. And yet, but, <laughs> but, and, and, and contrary to what they say on Game of Thrones, some things do matter that someone says before, but, okay, those things are all important, but the virus thing is just almost completely useless Ugh. Uh, the, and how it got there and why it got there. And the thing with the Romulans, the thing with the Romulans, uh. I mean, it's sort of like an, oh, by the way thing. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if they like felt like they needed to pad it or what that was exactly. Then you can yeah. say, well, it's a good chance to see, you know, Crusher be strong. Well, the only problem is she's also superhuman at this point because everybody else, literally everybody else on the ship is sick, but not her. <laughs> and I mean, there, there, there are plot holes that kind of disappoint. But honestly, the gems that I just pulled out of there with those things that I was talking about, plus the idea that we're talking about diversity as opposed to just the reverse sexism idea i want to cut it some slack it's not the most compelling episode i honestly enjoyed it more the second time i watched it than i did the first time i watched it which is kind of a drag because i don't think there's a lot here the only reason i watched it a second time honestly was because i had to but i enjoyed it a lot more that second time i I don't there's nothing here that's going to make you go oh i want to see that again Unless it's me sitting here saying, no, seriously, go back and watch it again, because <laughs> there's honestly a bit of stuff there, uh, not in the British term. Uh, there's honestly a, a, a lot of decent <laughs> things happening there, um, if you can get past uh, the parts that aren't quite decent. And that's me. What about you, sir? <laughs> that's a lot to get past, though. I mean, this is another one of those episodes that people warned us about. Before we started, they were like, idiot, oh, Code of Honor, you're going to get to that. It's going to be horrible. And, 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 then they, Angel and they were one, right about Code of Honor. They were right. Yeah. yeah. And then Angel One, like, oh, it's the it's even worse and it's terrible when you get to it. If you can get through that, you can get through anything. And I honestly didn't think it was that bad. But no. I think I'm on the same page with you here. I'm giving them an A for effort, even if the execution is a C minus. Okay. Because at least they wanted to address something um 
now the the producer and director said okay i'm sorry the writer said that this episode was intended as a parallel to south african apartheid hmm. and i think it kind of fails in that angle <laughs> as well um but there are interesting angles to explore in this episode you know they were trying to do interesting things here like address sexism in a new and interesting way and show our ability to negotiate again in the context of, you know, a prime directive crisis like code of honor or justice. Um, but you know, what was the point of the sexism they were trying to address? It, it was just playing out like the very worst 20th century sexism, but in a kind of cartoonish way. Um, See, you know, I, I really thought I really thought I would have you with the diversity thing, though. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I really, I really thought that that might that that might spark a little something there for you because you're still just seeing it as the worst sexism possible. Oh no, and and I don't doubt that the yes, the idea of the diversity encroaching here is is an interesting angle that they maybe unintentionally. I don't think across. I don't think you could say unintent. Well. No, I, I I don't know that it was intentional. Okay, there were three men on that ship. I'm sorry, four men on that ship, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Some of them, they say, have taken wives. He actually says some of us even have wives. Okay, yeah. so so yeah, then yeah. we know that we can only account for six or seven people that should be leaving with them, and yet there are fourteen. Yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> the introduction of new ideas is actually starting to take hold a little bit. Now, I don't know if it's the rippling across the planet that Riker was talking about, but the introduction of new ideas is starting to take hold on this planet. And so the mm -hmm. question is then, is, is the ruling class going to stamp out these new ideas, is it literally going to kill the people who are bringing the new ideas, or is it going to try to find some way to coexist with the ideas? Now, sadly, I still think it's not trying to find a way to coexist with the ideas. It will let them live on another part of their planet. That's right, not quite whatever. coexisting to me. I mean, <laughs> right. I guess technically it is, but I mean, it's, you know, okay, you go seriously to another continent. You go, like, you like I, if I can see you, you have not gone far enough. Right. Okay, if I can well, hear you, you have not gone far. If I can see the smoke from your fires, you have still not gone far enough. Keep moving. Yeah. Um, and yet still I would say that, I mean, it's the introduction of new ideas that's starting to, to change this society. Well, yes, and and I do, you know, if I just talk about the morals meaning messages, yeah, mm -hmm. if I pull out this moral mm -hmm. or this message that evolution is inevitable, mm -hmm. you know, here is another episode where we make the case for shrugging off the conservative, and again, I use that with a little C, <laughs> all right, mm -hmm. shrugging off this conservative path in order to encourage change to take place, but change will not come fast to angel one right. as you were saying the these rebels these fugitives will be far 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 away their ideas are all but stamped out at that point mm -hmm. you know it, it's either we we let you live and we let you go have your little fantasy of changing the world or we just kill you <laughs> you know well, except but except yeah. they haven't quarantined them as far as we know i mean other people might go hey what happened to that really nice couple where the guy actually decided occasionally where they were going to eat not all the time <laughs> right. but some what happened right. to them oh they moved to another con did they well is there room right. on this other continent i don't know maybe it, go ahead i'm sorry it, it no it does make you wonder how things will be in 10 years 20 years 100 years you know that, that will they have to learn to compromise at least politically sadly in, they all die of a box that nobody even knew existed on the other continent 
<laughs> right, right. <laughs> and there was no exactly. crusher there who's immune to everything to take care of them. So really, it's yeah, that's so, terrible. Yeah, I mean, as an episode, you know, I, I hate the B plot here. Um, it, there's a virus we have to defeat at the very last minute, and there are Romulans we have to go meet in less than an hour. <laughs> and I guess that sounds important. So maybe we'll see them in the next episode. Don't yeah. hold your breath. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing, you know, this episode is a far cry from something like Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, where it is derided by some Star Trek viewers because it's just so obvious and they're trying to do so much. But that episode, we actually said, was brilliant at its core. Yeah. But then this episode is also a far cry from an episode like Code of Honor, where just every decision was a bad one, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 like you, I am cutting this episode some slack. And I was interested in sort of the political ideas of this episode. How do you encourage a, at least some form of itic? It, it, Riker, yes, Riker is hoping to plant that little itic seed on this planet. No, no, do not go there. Kevin. Do not go there. How could you do that to me? <laughs> oh man all right should we get out should we tell people I, how to talk to us and get out i think we have to now right. sorry <laughs> if you would like to join our sometimes ribald conversation on uh on all things star trek please do uh, there are a number of ways to get in touch with us facebook skype and twitter our handle there in all of those places mission log pod you can call us 323-522-5641 that number again, 323-522-5641. You can email us, missionlog at roddenberry.com. We have a website for our show. Yes, we do. It is uh, missionlogpodcast.com. That's where you'll find discovered documents and other things along those lines. We have two additional distributors who are carrying our show, and we're so happy they are. trekmovie.com and trekfm. You can find them online, trek.fm. Remember, if you get in touch with us, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. Speaking of upcoming episodes, next week, it's Lul... No, 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 wait, I'm pronouncing that wrong. It's 11001001. Some of the music formation log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Oh wait, 11001001. I just got that. That's surprisingly funny for a human. And a male human at that. And transmission. <laughs>